Good morning. This is Bo Matthews, and welcome to Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. Let's Talk is a one-hour program devoted to issues and developments that are of importance to Sedalia and the surrounding communities. By committing an entire hour to a subject and many times having experts join us in studio, we will be able to delve deeper into the topic of the week and provide you with a fuller understanding of what is happening in our community. A reminder that Let's Talk can be heard Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on News Talk 1050 KSIS. The show can also be heard on the KSIS radio app and also at KSISradio.com. You can contact us with any comments, questions, concerns, and ideas. Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. I'm Bo Matthews with Ron Toner and John Meehan. And with us today, Susie Howe, a grade school teacher in the Sedalia School District. Ron? Thank you, Bo, and good morning to everyone. We decided to change it up a little bit with this program today. We've covered a lot of things in this community, but we hadn't really gotten around to the school district yet. And in particular, I am really happy to have this program today because it centers around our children and the education of our children and things associated with it. And guest uh, Susie Howell, I believe, is an excellent person to talk on this subject. I'm not going to do much in the way of introducing her. We'll let her do that herself. And let's uh, let's maybe start out, Susie, with just a little bit of your background, maybe start with your education and then your work history, and we'll go from there. Okay, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so proud to share about education, especially about the Sedalia School District. I started, um, was born in Kansas, went to Kansas State. You know, that's the purple and white, not the KU Jayhawks. (laughs) And I graduated with a dual major there in elementary education and communications. And then um, started my teaching career in Hayes, Kansas, taught second and third grade for three years. And then I think by the grace of God, my sister and I moved here to Sedalia just to try something new. And she was a new teacher. And we both got hired in the Sedalia School District. So I taught for about eight or nine years at Skyline. And then during that time, met my husband, David, and Missy met her husband as well. So that kept our roots here in Sedalia. And I worked to get my master's in administration through William Woods. And then during that course of the time, we had our first son, Jacob. And so I took some time off from there to stay home with him. And then when he entered kindergarten, I got back in the workforce at Heber Hunt and taught first grade. So I've been there ever since. This is my 28th, yes, 28th year of teaching. And at Heber now, you're a third grade instructor, uh correct? Heber Hunt, I'm a third grade teacher and have been for a good long time and hope to stay that way. Well, you know, the uh, John Meehan, and myself and our involvement with the schools, at least from a child standpoint, have been a few years ago at this point. Most uh, our, our kids have been out and about for, for quite a while. And you're giving away our age here now. No, I don't know. No. At least people were going to be have to be creative to figure that out. <laughs> but we still have a tremendous interest in the school in this community, and we are tremendously proud of the school in this community. But there's no doubt that education has changed tremendously since our children were there. And I'd like, if you could, to just kind of share the changes that you've seen over the years, get into the things of great importance today. Obviously, a little bit further into the program, we want to talk on the pandemic and its impact on education, but uh, I'm just going to let you go for a little bit and 
and uh, tell us about education today. Okay, thank you. I think there are so many great changes in education. Some of the I was pondering this yesterday, just making some notes. I think one of the greatest um, benefits or changes in education that we really use data to drive our instruction, and we know more about the kids using that data, whether it's um, socioeconomic data, but most of all data that we see in the classroom. How are they performing? You know, we take assessments on their reading and their math and their fluency, and we track this through the whole year. We're at the beginning of education when my teaching career, we didn't do that. We maybe took one little reading test. Most of this is on the computer, so we can graph it and chart it and, and tell and they give printouts what we need to work on, what um, standards that they've mastered, so we really know more about the academic performance of our students, which really helps us drive our instruction in the classroom and really hone in on what each student needs, not just the whole classroom. So I think we're smarter teachers, and we can get more gains with the students by doing, you know, using all that data. Susie, mm-hmm. can I ask you, you know, sure. you're taking, you know, all this data mm-hmm. is very beneficial for uh, maybe zeroing in on uh-huh. those students. But uh, how much time does it take really to collect that? You know, the tests that you have to run. And, and, and uh, I can just imagine with my wife being a teacher, just about as long as you've been a teacher, you know, I hear these stories that, you know, this is important, but yes. it takes away some of the teaching time. It does. And that's part of um, the drawbacks I have on my list is it does take time. And some of the assessments are excellent and some are not quite what you know exactly how I had it in my mind or how I'd been teaching it and in my opinion you know just from our school district there's a lot of assessing too much that it takes out of my teaching time or the students independent work time and so I think we need to be selective in what we do assess and what we you know can put to the side I think students are also fatigued from the assessments you know we have a unit assessment mid unit different in different subjects so I think it's become too much and sometimes as teachers we don't get that time to analyze the data like we should Mm -hmm. so I think many school districts are being more data informed but I think we need to be more selective so we remain you know that instructional time and the independent or small group time it's a big balance and the thing that comes to mind to me, Susie, when you talk about this is you're, as I see it, you're individualizing your educational efforts really per child, mm-hmm. which, of course, is drastically different than a number of years ago because it was more or less teaching to the masses then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to be a tremendous benefit to me that you can do that, but also a tremendous drain on time. And, and I'm not talking the testing now, I'm mm-hmm. talking the educating, but a, a drain on a, on a teacher's time and uh, well they always say a teacher's work never ends and I think that's definitely the case now. And we do get that time you know to have our plan time you know every day during the school day where we I plan with my other reading and writing teacher and the other math teachers I teach reading and writing spelling grammar to one class in the morning and another class in the afternoon we do get lots of time to plan and look at that we have an instructional coach that helps us so we try to work 
you know, smarter, not harder, but it does take time and energy and then to collect those resources. What I might teach in to some of my small groups or in the morning class would be different in the afternoon, depending on how they're performing and what they need. But I think that is also a benefit because I get that choice and it's not just a curriculum that I have to, you know, deliver. I have many choices to meet the needs of the students. Well, Susie, I know my wife, when she, the wife Mary, when she comes home, she would share with me different stories. And one of those is, is that, yes, she had scheduled plan time, mm-hmm. but that is quite often interrupted because you have a student that needs some extra special mm-hmm. attention or there's other chores that must be done. That's right. So that kind of impacts that a little bit too. So that does bottom happen. line is, is that she says there's just not enough hours in the day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think all teachers would agree to that and any good work environment, you might take your work home and teachers do the same thing. We can't take the students home or the small group home. Mm-hmm. So we end up taking the, the paperwork and some of the planning home, but that's part of the job. That's one of the things, too, that uh, my stepdaughter lives in Phoenix, and she teaches at a private school, and uh, a lot of times she'll be there at least a couple of hours after the bell rings. And like you say, and then she takes stuff home. I can see that she's single. I can see uh, teachers, you know, spouses, either both teachers or one is. I can see how it can affect family life. It does, yes. That is a, quite a challenge yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've just joined us uh, on the radio show this morning here, we have the privilege of having Susie Howell in our studios. Been in education for almost 30 years and tremendous. And I know that we have on our schedule to hear from Sedalia 200 administration in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, but, you know, we're getting the teacher perspective this morning. Susie, you, you were referring to how much uh, the, the work of the job is just never done for a teacher. And, and that's very apparent in my home because I will read the newspaper and watch the news. And my wife, Mary, is on the couch grading papers. And so it's just never done. And so let's switch gears just a little bit. The pandemic and the last two years has been a totally different kind of educational concept. Can you Tell us from a teacher standpoint how you've made that work. I've been so, so proud of the Sedalia School District because they kept the students first and what is best for students and student learning. And our district has been one of the few that has been face-to-face contact every day. And I'm so proud of that because research shows that kids learn more when they're connected with their teachers and peers in the classroom face-to-face. They not only learn, you know, better reading and writing and math, but the social skills, the manners, the all those extra things. And can be a problem solver and work cooperatively. I know other school districts have done back and forth and, you know, hybrid and those type of things, but I really think that has helped our district stay face-to-face, and I know it's been really a challenge. When my students came back to school with the masks, um, I think adults got more bent out of shape than the kids did. I never had one student complain. They were just so darn happy to be back with their peers, learning. You know, they, they were so flexible and how they approach cleaning things and certain things we couldn't do because it was cooperative. They were so flexible. They just wanted to be in school, have fun, learn, be with their peers. And so, you know, it has not been a big deal to them. They've just been very flexible. And they were really, what I might say, starved for that social interaction with their fellow students and, of course, their educators. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They just wanted to be with their peers. They wanted to play games. They wanted to learn. And really, they were starved socially and academically. 
you know, the, the students are a bit behind because we've missed school or we've been at home those couple months. And I commend parents because they did everything they could. They read with students. They worked on those worksheets. But, you know, we've missed instructional time. But I think that we just keep the end in mind that we want students to grow and learn and just keep working hard to meet the students where they are instead of feeling that pressure of, oh, the students are behind, the students are behind, Mm -hmm. and not to put that pressure on ourselves, but especially the students, just Mm -hmm. to keep going. Susie, I will tell you that I agree with you 100% regarding the efforts of the Sedalia School District. I am so proud of this district and what it has really done for the children during this pandemic process. I'm not so proud of some other educational facilities in other communities, and we'll, we'll leave them nameless, but the fact of the matter is it was really hard to see that they put the children first, and I definitely think that Sedalia 200 did put the children Absolutely. first. Absolutely. But when you, when you look at this issue with the pandemic, and you even said here, with everything the district did, that time was lost, teaching time was lost, learning time was lost. What's your take on how do we get that back? Uh, Because I would go so far as to say that in some areas, children are terribly behind at this point. I won't say that here, but there's still some amount uh, of catch-up, I'm sure, to do. But how do you face that? I just think we'd be really smart about our planning. Just continue to meet the kids' needs where they are, whether it's whatever you know level they're reading, and continue to work hard in our school day and to make important things a priority and continue to give resources and help parents at home or grandparents know what they can do with their student at home. Just continue to keep them reading, um, keep them practicing their math facts, just independent things that they can do at home. I think if we kind of embrace this as a community thing, you know, not just a we're going to learn at school, that we continue to keep the communication positive and that we continue you know I always say it's you know your job at home too to read and and practice math facts and you know stay busy at home and get lots of exercise and plenty of sleep so they're ready to go for the next day of learning. At this point we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a few minutes with our second segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. A reminder that Let's Talk can be heard Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on News Talk 1050 KSIS. The show can also be heard on the KSIS radio app and also at KSISradio.com. You can contact us with any comments, questions, concerns, and ideas. Welcome back to our second segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. I'm Bo Matthews with Ron Toner and John Meehan. Susie Howe, great school teacher here at the Sedalia School District, is with us, and we're talking about different things that affects a teacher, especially with the pandemic that we've been experiencing the last two and a half years. Ron? Thank you, Bo. Yeah, we may go back and or at least stay on that subject uh, a little bit, Susie with regard to the pandemic and the changes that it has required, not only for teachers, but for the children as well. Well, I really think this 
teacher's job has evolved to be a little bit bigger and more encompassing. I always had tried to build relationships and with the students in the classroom from the get-go, but I think more now we are really focused on building those relationships within the classroom and within the family. And our job has, you know, gotten evolved to a little bit bigger. I'm also the nurse. I'm also the counselor. I'm the coach. So I think that just part of our job as um, needs arise in the classroom and with students and with families and just in order to meet their needs and reach them to be a more effective teacher as well as for students to learn to trust us. Eight-year-olds have issues and things that they have to have help with before their brain's ready to learn. So I think my job has changed and I've had to become better at things such as working with technology and those kinds of things as we use Chromebooks and more technology in the classroom. And of course, a key word that comes to mind as we're visiting about this is changes which, of course, you've given some examples of some. And uh, another C word I would throw out there is challenges. And again, that was already happening in education, obviously, but the pandemic, you might say, accelerated uh, some of those things and some of the requirements uh, to adapt to what was happening. But uh, maybe elaborate a little more on the changes in education and how you educate and then uh, maybe roll into uh, the challenges that are out there for you. A lot of the changes occurred. Just we have embraced um, cooperative learning, the Kagan cooperative learning, which we've used cooperative learning for many years. But I really think that more of our teaching strategies are more engaging, more really have more discussion with the students and have the students be part of the learning. You know, in a cooperative group, they might one person might be the teacher, the other one might be the scribe. Instead of teachers imparting the information, they talk about it, discuss it, problem solve. so it really has been a more active participation in learning, more movement in the learning, whether it's their body or throughout the classroom, just to keep them more engaged and more focused and for them to not only know the answer, but be able to explain it. So I think our teaching and learning is more engaging and has more you know, movement through the day, which helps the brain learn better. Something with the reading program, we all know that kids, you know, some just take to it and and just delve right into it. They jump right into it and love reading. Some just for whatever reason just can't seem to grasp it. They have a harder time. And I imagine, like you say, with this time off with the way things have went, it's made it tougher. But it's something, too, that uh, if the kids aren't able to do it on their own to get back into it, it's going to be that much tougher. But that's where the parents need to step up and, and do the things they need to do to help with that child. Put that phone down and take a half hour hour, an hour in the evening and help. You bet. Because there are only so many hours in the day yeah. and we really, you know, work on meeting the student needs and we have some below level readers. And so we encourage and it, it really is part of the a parent's job to take that time, like you said, put down their phone, sit with their child or children and read with them, read to them, talk to them, to model that good language and to continue to 
be involved in what's happening in the classroom, whether it's a worksheet, but just to take that time to continue that learning after the school day. Well, they're, they're helping to set the groundwork for what they're going to do in their later years in school on how far they will advance with their education and how they will advance as a person. Yes, and part of that learning is being active and getting plenty of movement and exercise, whether it's playing outside, getting that sunshine, being involved in sports, and also plenty of rest, which we know all those after-school things encompass, you know, being ready to learn. Well, something we were talking about, too, talking about the getting enough sleep, because a lot of kids come into where they just haven't had enough sleep. Yes. And John and I were just kind of alluding to back in the day, and Ron, I imagine, was the same way. Back in the day, when we were that age in grade school, it was a flashlight in the comic book underneath. Now, it's like you say, the Chromebook, the phone, whatever, an electronic device that maybe is keeping them awake later, and unfortunately, with that, it makes their mind still work after they stop that, so it takes longer for them to shut down and go to sleep, so when they get up in the morning, they are tired. They are, and I've had kids, third graders or eight, tell me they stay up till midnight, you know, on their phones, or they're messaging their friends, and I am in shock, but I communicate that to parents because I think some parents don't know. They're the boss of the phones, the parents. They can take them away or take those controllers away, but that rest is really important, and that sets the groundwork for all day and for them learning. Susie, what I'm taking away from this uh, this conversation here is is that the parental movement to become more engaged with the educational process really starts with their student, their child at home, going over those things that uh, are reinforcing those things that they're supposed to be learning throughout the day, and that is the reading, the the arithmetic, mm-hmm. the facts, and and of course ensuring that all those other things happen. So, yes. like the extra sleep and mm-hmm. getting outside and getting some exercise. Reading is such a building block for everything that we learn and do that even if they just chose 30 minutes every single night, phones off, everything off, TVs off, just to talk and read would be so beneficial no matter what grade. Uh, We have a fifth grader and we still read to him at night. And I think that really helps the bonding as well as listening comprehension and all of that. I think that would really, you know, help connect families and maybe have a great bedtime routine so they would get better sleep but to know that that's really important to the family we do this every night i want to remind the audience if if you didn't notice it a couple minutes ago when john was talking he mentioned arithmetic i don't know the last time i heard that word, john (laughs) i I thought that too (laughs) well when when was the last time that it was used that coined as the three r's right yeah back in the day that's what it was true yeah yeah you were talking about sleep deprivation Susie and all of the technology issues, not necessarily technology for learning, but just technology in general that's at the hands of the young people today. Just a a curiosity, a question. How many of your third graders have cell phones? I'm not for certain, but I know at least three in my morning class. Yeah, I find that I find that interesting and I'm not surprised. Do they go away during class time? They, they don't bring them to school. Every right. once in a while we have one that comes to school, but we put it, I hang on to it for the rest of the day. <laughs> More power to you. <laughs> and I understand the importance of, you know, trying to communicate with back and forth mom and dad or mom lives in one place, dad lives in another. 
Well, they're trying to emulate older brother and sister yes. and, and people they see, too. Mm-hmm. So, of course, yes. they're kind of geared towards that. Yes. So that makes a difference, too. If you're just joining us on Let's Talk, we have Susie Howe, great school teacher at Heber Hunt in the Sedalia School District. And, Ron, I think you have something else for us to ask Susie. Thank you, Bill. We were talking a little bit ago. I asked the question regarding uh, cell phones in, in the hands of, of your children. And, of course, I, I may have asked that question with kind of a negative connotation. There's obviously a lot of tremendous good that comes out of the technology available nowadays to children and the utilization of it in the school district. Give a a rundown of what you see there, Susie. Also, before I let you go, you mentioned during break even the fact that uh, children nowadays are involved in coding. Uh, software coding. So I, I, that just amazed me uh, at that age. But elaborate on the technology side. Um, because of COVID, now every student in the district has either a Chromebook that's their own. They check it out like a library book with a charger or an iPad. And so I don't think parents really know how we use that as far as instruction, not just the kids are not just playing learning games, but we use those every day as part of our instruction, you know, whether they're reading or researching or using Google Classroom to submit their assignments or just a website. There's so many amazing sites that help the students learn, whether it's, you know, kindergarten, clear through 12th grade. So it really adds a a benefit to our instruction and the students' independent time so that we integrate that into our day every single day not just games but kids learning and there are different programs we can use that if I have a higher reading group or a medium reading group or lower I can tailor that to them so it's not just one assignment but it really works to help differentiate with instruction and so that has really been such a positive. You brought up the learning games Mm -hmm. and and I just kind of sensed a little bit that that was kind of what people are aware of. Yes. But isn't that an important, I mean, that is important. as an instructor, as a teacher, you want to make learning fun. Yes. And of course, having games, I guess, and that's, that, that has a learning component to it, I would assume that would be very important too. It is important. And so I just wanted parents to be aware we do more than games, but it's important because it's practice, just like practicing your math facts or your spelling words or comprehension questions that they can practice. So there are many great games that students can practice and be successful and it makes it fun and enjoyable and they see that immediate feedback you know if they got it correct or incorrect so that's important for learning as well how soon are they learning the keyboard they start in kindergarten. Okay, so they're doing everything, like, say, and through Google Classroom, yes. where they submit their papers uh-huh. and everything like that? I don't think that's in kindergarten, but they're learning they're keyboarding learning. skills. And but they're at learning. what point do they start submitting their their, their classroom assignments. assignments? And we do some in third grade. I'm not sure about second grade. Penmanship. Um, that just brought to my yes. mind penmanship, because that almost sounds like penmanship is going to the wayside, Oh, in a it's sense. not. We still work on okay. regular handwriting, cursive. I still want to see. We do some of the assignments on the Google Classroom, and sometimes it's just when we're publishing something so they can be able to use, like, spell check and Mm -hmm. different font sizes and those type of things. But I still have them um, submit, turn in a real paper in their real handwriting, and and we still engage in editing and publishing. So that's just one tool we use. The kids are so motivated when they can publish something and print it and then hang it in the hall. But that technology is just one part of our day. 
and you were saying in kindergarten they're learning to code. They are. And we, for us old timers, coding <laughs> is is the programs that you write to where you can go, like say they're they're robots. You say they're making yes, robots. Yes, and I'm not sure. We have an amazing librarian who used to be a third grade teacher. So she, her classroom in the library is just like a classroom. You know, she does a STEM projects and coding and lots of integrating with a project based learning. But I know then third grade they write they have a coding day and they learn to code and make things work and that um, integrates with part of our classroom with our science curriculum with the STEM program so the it's, times, it's impressive the times they are a changing <laughs> well you remember Bo uh, it's been a few years ago but a book that was pretty popular at the time was something I might not have this exactly correct but something about everything I needed to know I could have learned in kindergarten and boy that there's really a, a lot of wisdom in that comment of course sometimes I wonder if the world was ran by children if we wouldn't be a better place as well <laughs> but and, and in line with that Susie the Sedalia community is really a melting pot anymore with the different heritages Hispanic mm-hmm. uh, Ukrainian others as well how do you see that working in the classroom because I think that's a that could be a very big learning thing by itself just learning other cultures uh, learning to get along with each other and so forth I think it's such a positive. I love having a wide, diverse group in my class, and I love having bilingual kids, whether it's um, several students that speak Russian, uh, many students I have that are bilingual in Spanish and English, and I always make that such a positive, that, wow, you're doubly smart. You are you know English okay. and Spanish, and Great. try to honor that, because I don't know that they always think that's a positive, and I know it makes a learning challenge for them, but I think it's such an added benefit and we get to not only learn Spanish or Russian but about their culture and their differences but how we're all the same you know to share compassion and love and and that we're different but we're still the same and yes it does provide some learning challenges because they're learning English in third grade maybe that they had their first language is Spanish but I'm so amazed at the bilingual kids their want to learn and their drive and their perseverance. It's such a good lesson for all the students as well as myself. Isn't that something that, again, to get back to the parental involvement here, but that's something that from those different cultures, when those students go home, mm-hmm. to for those parents to encourage that bilingual communication process. Yes, absolutely. And I think some families at home are embarrassed by that, but I want to honor that because it's, it's such an important part of who the students are and their families, and I always encourage that. I've had one, when I taught first grade, one of my students interpreted his own parent conference. It was, I cried. I was just, and I said to that parent, do you know how smart Jorge is? That was just part of their learning, but it's just amazing what our students can do if we give them that opportunity and just to keep honoring those challenges and make that part of a a special celebration in our classroom. Let's take a break. We'll return in a couple of minutes with our third and final segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. A reminder that Let's Talk can be heard Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on News Talk 1050 KSIS. The show can also be heard on the KSIS radio app and also at KSISradio.com. You can contact us with any comments, questions, concerns, and ideas. 
Back for our third and final segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. I'm Bo Matthews with Ron Toner and John Meehan. And today, Susie Howe, grade school teacher, third grade teacher at Heber Hunt. Ron? Thank you, Bo. As we work into our last segment, we're going to change the subject up a little bit. Susie, I know you you lost your 16-year-old son back in August of 2020. And as difficult as it is, I know you have really worked to bring the positive out in that as far as uh, talking to others, uh, helping teach others uh, about the impact on your lives and and uh, what Jacob dealt with. I'm not going to try to ask a lot of fancy questions. I'm just going to say uh, take it from there and uh, let the public know what they need to know. Okay, thank you. Well, my goal of coming here today is just to share the positive light of education and also just to share Jacob's story so parents and students and teenagers understand what the tragedy our family has gone through and just what was, you know, happening in Jacob's life. Um, He was a student that was always very active and busy and loved to be involved. He struggled with some ADHD, which I think carried on through his um, 16 years. And with that comes anxiety, trouble sleeping. And I think all that was compounded by the pandemic, just being at home. Kids turned a lot to their cell phones and social media, and that makes everybody a little bit more anxious. And so Jacob was not a drug addict. He didn't use drugs on a daily basis. We had a very open relationship with him. Um, he was very honest about what was happening in his life and his you know, peers' lives and, and in high school. Um, he just struggled with a lot of anxiety and some of those kind of issues. I think that's very common for teenagers, but his were just more compounded, I think. We are pretty educated parents um, as far as you know, him being on some medicine for the anxiety and depression. That kind of goes hand in hand. And as well as some of the, we had him in therapy, saw a psychiatrist. You know, we were pretty involved. We were always involved in his life. He was a motocross rider, and that kind of outside activity really gave him pleasure and helped him feel free and helped, you know, his brain feel calmness. You know, he could always study better after he had played soccer or basketball or rode motocross. But that summer of March was the pandemic hit, and it was the summer in in August. He had been out with some friends, and he had told us a couple weeks before that that he told, I can remember this night exactly, we're in in our house, and Jacob said, Dad, I took this, somebody gave me a Xanax. And it made me feel better. So the next time I go see his psychiatrist, which was in actually on August 4th, he said, can I get a prescription for that? Because I felt so much better. And my husband said, well, Jacob, if you got it off the street, then it's probably not a real Xanax. It's probably somebody probably made it and it probably has fentanyl in it and fentanyl can kill you. Well, he had no idea what fentanyl was or the impacts of what could happen. And so on August 4th, what happened that evening, he was out with friends. They were driving around. And I don't want to know exactly what happened, when and where, because my mom heart can't handle that. But I, we understand that he bought a Xanax from somebody that he trusted for $5, or he traded four or five Xanaxes to drive his truck. 
that somebody ended up wrecking. So that night, he took one or I don't know how many of those fake Xanaxes that had fentanyl in it, and it killed him. So what I have had the message and then the privilege of speaking to high school kids last year and this year, both at Whittier, where Jacob was a student, and at Smith Cotton, where Jacob was a student, just about the effects of that, what can happen. I don't think kids understand. I didn't understand. Parents don't know. You know, just the availability, what fentanyl is. I didn't know what it was. I knew about it just through the hospital use, but how, what an epidemic it is to our community. I know there have been many deaths in Columbia, Sedalia, the surrounding areas. I've seen reports on the Today Show and on 41 News a couple weeks ago what an epidemic it is in our country and in the world because it's so cheap, it's so um, powerful, it's very effective, super easy to access. Kids can make press a pill and put fentanyl in it and it gives you that euphoric feeling and um, is super addictive. So you think, wow, that Xanax really made me feel better. Well, it's super addictive, so you want, you know, more more and more, and how one uh, fentanyl is very deadly. One drop, as small as a pin, can kill a full-grown man. One drop. And it's 50 times more potent than heroin and as addictive. It's 100 times more potent than morphine and is as addictive. And it's an opioid. So, you know, when you hear about the opioid addiction, that falls into that category. So it's super addictive. But what that night I wish the kids that were hanging out with Jacob would have known and other kids now I try to inform them is that you I don't know exactly what happened when Jacob passed but that they could have called 911 to get help and not been in trouble there's a sunshine law in Missouri that police officers or respondents will come and just help the person and not ask questions that the extra kids or people or adults there will not um, they won't get in trouble for drug use or in any sort of trouble the Sunshine Law gives them immunity. I don't think the kids knew that, nor I think that night what happened was Jacob and his buddies just fell asleep and they didn't know he was overdosing. So if they'd have been aware of those signs of an overdose, such as shallow breathing, a blue color in the face, those type of things, which kind of mimic just when we're sleeping, I think if kids would have been a little bit more aware, they might have been able to help Jacob or call 911. With an opioid addiction, there's something called Narcan. It looks like a little Flonase bottle. I had no idea about this either. It's free. Anybody can get it. Anybody can use it, even if you don't know if it's an opioid or what the student has taken or adult, for that matter. You just give a little puff in their nose, like a nasal spray, and it stops the opioid reaction in your brain. And say a person had been taking another drug, such as marijuana, and they're having a reaction. If you use that, then it's not going to hurt them. I could use it today and be just fine, but it it can save a person's life if they're overdosing from an opioid. Um, You can get that. I think now it's more available in different places, but you can get it free at the Pettis County Health Department. You just go in and say, I would like Narcan. They don't take your number. They don't ask your age. They don't tell your parents. 
You can keep it in your pocket or in your hoodie or in your car just in case. Um, it looks just like Flonase nasal spray. You can get it at Ray's Funeral Home from Sarah Ray, free. You just have like some Narcan um, and just keep it with you just in case, if in, in case you're in a situation like that. Visiting with Susie Howe, grade school teacher at Heber Hunt, third grade teacher. And Susie, give us some more information, phone numbers, some information that you still want to let people know about this. I think a big piece of this is mental health awareness and that adults struggle with mental health. So do teenagers and young people. And sometimes we, um, they self-medicate like, you know, smoking marijuana or taking something like they think is a Xanax. And we, we want to keep our kids safe. And I think the the most important piece today is that parents are aware and know what can happen, but students to student, you know, peer to peer, they need to be advocates for each other and take care of each other and just say, no, that could hurt you, or no, you don't want to do that, you don't know what's in it, and just to be a friend and to say, you know, that could kill you. You know, remember what happened to Jacob Howe, you know, remember what the struggles his family went through, or just to if someone's in trouble, to find a trusted adult that they can talk to and maybe get some mental health help, whether it's therapy, whether it's a counselor at school, whether it's a doctor. You know, some kids don't want to tell their parents they're struggling, but they need to tell someone, and their friends can be an advocate to get them help and to say, you know, this kid's really struggling and I'm concerned, or he's doing some things I'm afraid, you know, could harm him to help each other out. There's even some, you know, a lot of free places that that kids can go to. One is the Compass Health there that can help you with some mental health resources, counseling and therapy. You can get a hold of Zachary there at 660-596-5520. Erica Elliott is at the Pettis County Health, and she can help get resources for you, as well as Narcan. Her number is 660-827-1130. And Sarah Ray can help you out with Narcan at Ray Funeral Home at 660-553-5530. 8186. And I'm not saying Narcan's an answer. I'm just saying that we should be educated and know what's happening in our community. And and we need to be advocates for each other. And kids need to help each other out and, you know, be an advocate and speak up for friends that are maybe having some troubles. And that there are resources that we can be connected with if we just ask for help. And they can always call me with my cell phone or message me at 660-287-3503. I can help with resources resources, get kids directed in the right area. Um, They can always email me at my school email or on Facebook. Um, I think we just need to be open and honest about what's happening in our community and how can we help teenagers, especially that struggle with mental health issues. And I didn't realize until we got involved in figuring out some things and just watching on the news how accessible everything is on Snapchat you know, through by selling drugs or anything else. I don't think parents understand that either just because those snaps can go away, but how um, dealers and just kids can sell things, whether it's a pair of shoes or a Xanax on Snapchat and not get in trouble for it, but just through social media, how everything has been heightened and parents aren't always aware. 
any closing words you want to talk about, Jacob, just to leave us with a thought with Jacob? Well, we started on the year date of his death, starting a random act of kindness day. And we started it at hashtag R-A-K Jacob, random act of kindness, to, to celebrate his life. He loved people, and he was always a champion for people that needed help, whether it was a veteran or students we had in our home. We had five or six kids at our home during the pandemic and loved every minute of it. But he was one that lived life to the fullest. And so we all had random act of kindness, t-shirts, handed out dollar bills at McDonald's to celebrate. That was one of his favorite things was to drive around and get a Coke. You want to go drive around, mom? We can get a Coke, you know, just to to get us to drive around. But just we've been doing that through the, in the cl- my classroom as well, because they know I struggle with days that I'm sad and so we try to celebrate that kindness day and you know just do different things like we have just done random uh, made kindness bookmarks and put them in each of the books at the library at our school and just throughout the year we've done random act of kindness days and I know other people on Facebook have done that and they post it even other young people that have died their families it just makes something positive out of a terrible tragedy and helps to keep the awareness and Jacob's memory going. That's all the time we have this morning. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk. Join Ron Tolner, John Meehan, and myself, Bo Matthews, every Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on News Talk 1050 KSIS.